here it comes. I'm sorry. What? You seen my earplugs? <clears throat> Welcome to this game of football. Oh boy. Oh boy. Welcome to this podcast. Well, with all this, I, I thought I was in the wrong place. The following presentation is intended only for immature audiences. I bid you welcome. And God said, let there be F-bombs. And they were good. And they multiplied. Right here in this podcast. Kaboom! Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been uh, less than two weeks since my last episode. You're such a weirdo. I'm going to punish you myself. Ooh! Hi there. Welcome back to the Hansel and Gretel Code. Again? Uh, yeah. This here is episode 29. Uh, it's okay. Let's go. Come on, yo. Let's do this. Come on. Hey. Hey, you. Go, go, go. In our last episode, we learned about a bunch of Vatican PR specialists and heretic hunters who really had it in for Simon Magus. Not only did they start a centuries-long game of telephone, to spread rumors about him and his girlfriend, the former sex worker known as Helena. They, uh, they actually invented the game of Simon Says. Although, uh, now, as I think about it, they really invented its diabolical opposite. What? Well, what I mean is, they had the rules all backwards. So if you actually did what Simon says, ooh, they'd excommunicate you. Yikes! Now, they had a terrific source of Simon Says material in the so-called Apophysis Megale, or The Great Revelation. What's that? Well, that was a record of everything Simon said to his friends, supporters, and all-around happy campers. Oh, really? Yeah, well, those heretic hunters reported it in a fair-balanced way. Which uh, means that nobody knows for sure what Simon said, since they weren't even quoting from the original. Why not? Well, that must have disappeared in some very pious and ridiculously thorough book burnings. Maybe. Now, when we left off in episode 28... The telephone line was buzzing with the promise of more Simon Magus gossip. Ooh, I like that. Stuff that's even more entertaining than anything that first Marvel comic book gave us. Huh? You know, the uh, adventures of, or I mean, the acts of Peter. You remember, it had that holier-than-thou contest between Simon and St. Peter? with Simon flying all around the rooftops of Rome? That is, uh, until God 
sent someone to knock him out of the sky and break his kneecaps. I remember. Yeah, that was pretty entertaining stuff. But then some enterprising somebody, building on the success of that story, well, he came up with a medieval bestseller known as the Clementine Recognitions. So named because whoever wrote the story claimed that Pope St. Clement I was the author. I don't get it. Because the name is just kind of boring. Yeah, true that. I think the author was just passing the blame for such a crappy title. Whoever it was must have been worse at choosing titles for whatever they'd written than uh, I am at choosing titles for these podcast episodes. Got that right. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, claiming a celebrity as author, it was probably meant to boost sales. Naturally. It was supposed to give the book a cachet of celebrity, holiness, and truth that the real author probably couldn't command. It didn't cross my mind. After all, Clement, who died in the year 99, Common Era, well, he was on the all-time podium of popes. What are you talking about? Well, he was the second or third pope after number one, St. Peter. So if it was Clement would mean that the book was written in the second century. But it didn't become a bestseller until the fifth century. And, uh, ooh, I hope I don't have to wait 300 years for this podcast to gain some real traction like that. So, uh, talk it up, will ya? Nope, nope, forget it. Forget it. Hmm. Well, the Clementine Recognitions are now known to be part of a collection called the uh, Pseudo-Clementine Literature. Because, just like the Hermetic Literature, which was not written by Hermes Trismegistus, it's philologically obvious that Pope St. Clement had nothing to do with writing any of it. Who cares? Yeah, yeah, I know. Philology may not be your thing, but I personally love that sort of literary detective work, which amounts to reading in between the lines. It's what we're doing right here in this podcast. And as I've said, the work we're doing here, it's going to lead us right up to the real author of Hansel and Gretel. Now, speaking of Hermes Trismegistus, I didn't forget that I've promised to tell you exactly who he is or was. But I'm going to keep you hanging on just a little while longer. Why? Well, his secret identity is a crucial piece of information. But it belongs just a little further along in either this episode or the next. That is so typical. Yeah, yeah. In this episode, we're going to get into what made the Clementine Recognitions the ridiculously entertaining bestseller it was. We're going to learn a whole lot more about theurgy, and we're going to play another exciting round of Simon Says. All right already, get on with it! Okay, okay, don't rush me. Sheesh. 
Part 1 Teil 1 In which the all-time greatest game of Simon Says gets its due recognitions. I ain't never seen nothing like that before. So, the recognitions thingy, it's a first-person novel about the adventures of a guy named Clement. Clement leaves Rome and he sets sail for the Holy Land, where he meets a lot of guys right out of the Bible, including the Apostles, which uh, kind of makes it an early version of The Life of Brian. Judean People's Front. Well, the People's Front of Judea. Judean People's Front. wankers. Now, it's not Monty Python funny, but it was a genuine bestseller. And for any novel to become a bestseller, you need a villain. And the author chose, you guessed it, our theurgic hero, the much maligned Simon Magus. And believe me, if it wasn't already obvious from everything the heretic hunters had to say about him, it's even more obvious from this Clementine novel that Simon was a theurgist. And since theurgy is above all a practice of intuition, that alone is enough to mark him as an ancestor of the Holtzacker family, and Hansel in particular. And the same again and again and again. This is repetitive. Hey, I get it. I just can't emphasize enough how digging into all of this historical information on intuition, theurgy, and theurgists themselves, well, it's going to make ridiculously obvious sense to everyone following the podcast, albeit much later in the story. And if it isn't obvious yet exactly how the practice of theurgy is symbolized by Hansel's Moon Rocks, I promise that it will be within the next two episodes. Whatever. In the Clementine novel, Simon's exploits are recorded in entertaining detail and are obviously based on an understanding of theurgy as recorded in the Hermetic literature. In other words, the story makes direct reference to theurgic, astrologic, and alchemical practice, albeit from the fair and balanced perspective of a thoroughly orthodox Christian writer who obviously had no clue about the value or meaning of intuition. Yes, you are right. So, this Clementine business, it didn't end the game of Vatican Telephone. That still had a long, long ways to go. But whoever the hell wrote it, at least they knew how to play a nice, long game of Simon Says. So, uh, you ready for this? Why the fuck not? Okay. Simon says, Being shut up in prison, I can make the barriers open of their own accord. Well, this is Shades of Dionysius from the Bacchae, that play by Euripides we spoke about in episode 19. Remember? No. Okay. Simon says, I can render statues animated so that those who see suppose that they are men. 
Now that's a direct reference to the theurgic practice written about in the Hermetic text known as the Asclepius. And we first spoke about that in episode 25. Remember? No. Yeah, I didn't think so. Simon says, I can make new trees suddenly spring up and produce sprouts at once. Simon says, I can throw myself into the fire and not be burnt. Simon says, I can change my countenance so that I cannot be recognized, but I can show people that I have two faces. Let me just say this. This is something that people who hung out with Gurdjieff in Paris in the early 20th century, they swore he could do that. Oh. Simon says, I shall change myself into a sheep or a goat. Simon says, I shall make a beard to grow upon little boys. Simon says, I shall ascend by flight into the air. And Simon says, I shall exhibit abundance of gold and shall make and unmake kings. Really? I realize this all sounds like preposterous boasting. But as I said last time, theurgy is all about getting yourself right with your god or goddess. Which really means getting yourself right with yourself. And in this day and age, ooh, that would be such a miracle in itself. It's no wonder nobody seems able to do this sort of magical, miraculous stuff anymore. Some people say. Now, historically factual or not, when you read this stuff firsthand, it becomes more than obvious that this particular game of Simon Says, combined with the Vatican game of telephone, it led to one hell of a terrific historical outcome. Seriously? And before I share that outcome with you, I gotta clue you into one more important theurgist from around or just after the time of Simon. Not again! Part 2 Teil 2 In which we hear about the origins of Pizzagate from 1700 years ago and end up with a messy plate of stew instead of pizza. I did not order that. We'll eat frozen pizzas all day. I know. All day, every day. Now while we're still working our way through this tunnel of theurgy, I want to introduce you to someone you may or may not have ever heard of. St. Cyprian of Antioch. Oh, God. Oh, Jesus. Well, a big part of Cyprian's claim to uh, whatever fame he still has, it isn't that the Vatican made him a saint. It's that he was once a theurgist, just like Simon. He converted to Christianity, just like Simon. And then... Oh, he went so completely over to Orthodox Christianity... It was almost as if Joe Biden went MAGA and became an official Fox News saint. Something tells me that's not funny. Yeah, yeah. 
Now, despite Cyprian's longtime status as a Catholic saint, his story eh, really doesn't fly as historical record. In fact, even the Vatican eventually agreed he was only a comic book character, or, I mean, fictional personage. And so, in 1969, they, uh, they didn't cancel him. They just uh, demoted him from St. Cyprian to uh, plain old Mr. Cyprian. Ouch. His story was a real humdinger was full of all sorts of gruesome details that just naturally fascinated generations of medieval Christians. Plus, it wasn't just a one-off deal. It had three juicy episodes. His conversion, his confession, and his martyrdom. How do you know that? The story of his conversion to right-wing, or I mean, orthodox Catholicism, was a typically entertaining bit of hagiography. It showed Cyprian as a theurgist for hire, and it detailed his dealings with Satan and a few other demons, all in a failed attempt to seduce the sweet, innocent, and incorruptible young lady known as Saint Justina. Welcome to the flirting world. It's a good story but it was the second installment. His confession? Ooh, that really captured everyone's imagination. Now, in it, he describes his training and overall career as a theurgist. And that has him confessing to all sorts of ridiculous theurgic activities that, in the telling, make him sound like a reformed pimp and gangbanger. Fascinating. Yeah, it's educational. Not so much for what it says about theurgy, but for what it says about the Vatican PR machine and its balanced view of theurgy. So let's listen in as Cyprian delivers a balanced soliloquy on theurgic practice. I have committed countless misdeeds, and I cannot tell them all. The women whom I cut open for the demons, or the women of noble birth, whom I took prisoner. I caused them to abandon their cities, their houses, and their husbands. And after they became pregnant from adultery, I gave them medicine. Small children feeding off their mother's milk, I buried them beneath the earth. Some I suffocated. Others... I beheaded for the dragon, who promised me that this would give me strength. This is so fun! Those who had reached the age of maturity, young people, and those older than them, I buried them beneath the earth for the idol who was called as follows. Brandon, or I mean, he who is one among the gods. I removed the head of boys for Hillary, or I mean Hecate, who was called virgin. Young girls who had not married, I offered their blood to Pelosi, or I mean Pallas. I'm not saying nothing. Now if you think about it, whoever dreamed up this stuff was actually writing a titillating piece of torture porn. 
clearly meant to shock, provoke, and entertain its partisan readership. Of course, like all hagiography, it amounts to that age-old form of propaganda known as preaching to the choir. Something to scratch that gratuitous itch all partisan hotheads have to get themselves worked up and enraged about their opposite number. That's correct. Now, considering it was written close to 1,700 years ago, whoever did write this stuff must have been an ancestor of QAnon. Since it sounds an awful lot like an antique, but surprisingly evergreen version of Pizzagate. Or Frazzle Drip. Don't you think? No, sir. You realize some people aren't going to be happy with this? Yeah, well, sure. We're sort of mixing religion and politics here. Which is a double, big, fat, dangerous no-no. Yet, 1,700 years ago, that's exactly what was going on. Hmm. What's new is old, right? Oh, brother. And it's something we may have to address in a future episode. Do not do that, please. No, 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 no. Well, okay, so as I've said before, I may be a damn good astrologer, but I'm terrible at predicting exactly what we're going to cover, even in our next episode. And speaking of our next episode, I've got a very good idea about it. And it concerns the year 1587. Uh? Well, that was the year all the various stories about Simon Magus, St. Cyprian, or I mean Mr. Cyprian, and a host of other theurgists, magicians, necromancers, astrologers, and alchemists. It all got thrown into a pot and cooked up into one hell of an entertaining Lutheran stew known as Das Faustbuch. Your German pronunciation must be much better. Yeah, yeah. See, whoever wrote the first Faustbuch, the original German Faust, it used the character and exploits of Simon from the Clementines as a model. Hell, there's even a character in the Clementines called Faust. Interesting. Now, as far as Cyprian goes, the theme of him meeting up and working with Satan hmm, puts him right in the ballpark of Faust. But it's all of that explicit torture porn in his confession. Ooh, that marks him as another model for Faust. And yes, you can read about the connection in certain academic texts, but you can only intuit it for yourself if you've read both the original Faust material and at least the juicy parts of the Clementines and Cyprian's confession. Now, back in the Middle Ages, it was easy-peasy to make that connection, because Faust and the Clementines were super bestsellers that everyone would have read for entertainment. And of course, plenty of people knew the story of Cyprian, because it appeared in one of the most entertaining books of the millennium, the so-called Golden Legend. What's that? Oh, that's a medieval version of Lives of the Saints. Of course, these days, nobody but an academic is going to pick up on these literary connections, because who the fuck is going to read the Clementine Recognitions or the story of Cyprian for entertainment, much less even know about their existence? 
Are you sure about that? But now you know about the connection. Nicely done, you. Why, thank you. Uh, the Kumian Sybil is signaling for another pit stop. Uh-oh. So, let me just remind you that I could use the grace of your support. Whether that's financial or just shooting me an email to let me know you're listening. There's got to be more than two or three you guys out there right now. I don't think so. And uh, please do check out the website, since it's got full transcripts and credits as well as links to plenty of interesting stuff I've mentioned in each episode. You know the drill, of course. Visit us on the web at www.betweenthelines.xyz. Absolutely not. So in our next episode, I promise, I promise, I swear to God, I'm going to let you in on the real identity of Hermes Trismegistus. Right. And the Kumian Sybil, she's going to introduce us to the real Dr. Faustus, way down there in Hades. I don't want to. Eh, don't worry. He ain't no weirdo. And he's not evil. He's actually... The most interesting man in the world. Really? Yeah. In fact, he's the real deal, which you might call a real mensch. So, until then... Stay thirsty, my friends. Alrighty then. Ciao. A tutti. This concludes our broadcast day. Good night, and God bless America. We are over now! Baby, it's over now! Baby, we're done! It's all over! Ciao, ciao!